Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the Aspirin MC Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan, here at the Daytona International Speedway Media Center, where we're about roughly three hours, I think, after the Daytona 500 special podcast for the Great American Race. I'm here with my colleague from NBCSports.com, Dustin Long. Dustin, thanks for being here. Thank you. I don't I don't know where to start. Well, I think I do know where to start. We're going to start with the winner, but I'm just going to warn everybody. I mean, this is going to be a 30-minute time limit because there's just too many things to talk about so it's still writing to do yeah and, and dustin still has a story to write which you need to check out at nbcsports.com slash nascar so let's start with where you were dustin after the race in victory lane let me set this up first austin Dillon wins the second race of his career coca-cola 600 last year daytona 500 this year and it comes on february 18th 2001 17 years to the day that dale earnhardt died on the last lap of the 2001 Daytona 500. And 20 years after Dale Earnhardt won his only Daytona 500 in his 20th start, and someone noted this to me today, this is the second race on February 18th since 2001, and both times it's been won by a Richard Childress racing car. Kevin Harvick won this race in 2007. So all of that scene setting, you were in victory lane when it all went down after the race. What did you see? You know, I'll tell you that one of the things that, that really intrigued me the most was, you, you know, when they're in victory lane, you get the team together, they got the car there, everybody's excited, and they're doing the photos, and they do, you know, it's the hat dance is what they call it, and uh, so you, you, everybody gets a sponsor hat, and then they yell and hoot and holler and, and celebrate, and, and they take a photo, then they change the sponsor hat, and they do something, and, and they do the same thing over and over again. That's why it's called the hat dance. But, you know, typically when they hoot and holler uh the driver and the team often will like raise one index finger for we're number one well they didn't do that in victory lane tonight three fingers and and so it's like two you know you thought well maybe they do two because it's just two wins no they did three fingers fingers. and and so with the with the photos uh it'll be all of them raising three fingers and it's just you know, you, t- you just don't see that anywhere else because no. typically it's number one for being I'm number one or it's how many wins that driver has at that track. I can't remember any time anybody else has done it with a car number. Yeah, everybody knows what their car number is. Why would you raise that? Yeah. Except that this is the most maybe significant car number in history aside from the one that finished second the night, number 43, which we're going to get to. But, yeah, so I missed that at the start. Number three Chevrolet obviously carries a huge significance and yeah. it was back in victory lane. And, and like you noted, it's uh, the three and the 43 – Yes. You know, one, two. Which is what you're working on. Yes. For NBCSports.com slash NASCAR. And, and, and that has not happened since 1987. The last time it happened, Austin Dillon and Daryl Wallace Jr. weren't even alive. <laughs> 
That certainly brings it home. Yeah, Austin Dillon, of course, 27 years old. Uh, Bubba Wallace, the second-place finisher tonight in his first Daytona 500 with Richard Petty Motorsports, 24 years old. And that's certainly been part of the narrative yes. this year, uh, Dustin, going into 20, the 2018 season is about this this fresh brigade of stars. And what do you think it means for NASCAR to have Austin Dillon win this race in such a significant fashion? You, you've covered NASCAR longer than me. How do you just frame these crazy coincidences that seem to happen? I mean, the numerology or the cosmic forces, that things just seem to happen. You know, it's funny because somebody earlier this week asked me who I thought was going to win. I said, well, you know, it's the 20th 20th anniversary since Earnhardt won, so that means the three car is going to win. I mean, that's that's just the way it is. Is it's it, Again, it doesn't happen every time, um, but it, 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 it kind of happens at unique moments. It's, you know, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning the first uh, cup race here at Daytona after his father's death. Jeff Gordon winning... Uh, you know, the in, not the Indiana native, but an Indiana resident grew up there winning the inaugural Brickyard race. I mean, those are, you know, some of the, the more uh, iconic ones that kind of come to mind. So, you know, as there's all this talk about 20 years since Earnhardt's last win that the three car wins, you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, and, and it was interesting because, and, and, and I'll be honest, it was in the back of my head throughout the race because there'd be times I'd flip over to, to Dylan's channel. I'm like, you know what? The way this race is shaping up, if he stays out of trouble, he could he puts himself in position. Three car could be there at the end. I'm like, I, I want to listen to what's going on during the middle of the race. And you know, I know he alluded in the press conference about some of their their handling struggles, and and they were really struggling with handling uh, early in the race. So it, it's just, you know, it's just it's one of these things. Is can't you can't explain it? I mean, obviously for today it helped. And as you know, I mean, some of the big dogs got taken out. I mean, you know, this, you know, I think most people were putting if they had to bet, we're putting money on Fords this, you know, going into this race, maybe other than Chase Elliott. Keselowski gets collected in the crash. You know, uh, Logano has his issues. Blaney gets caught in a crash late. You know, Chase Elliott's in that crash and that that just vicious head-on hit. And it's, I'm, I'm just amazed he got out so quickly. I'm happy he did. Um, it, it kind of set up. And, and the thing that, about it was is, like, even at the end, you know, you're kind of keeping an eye on the three car, but there's Denny Hamlin and, you know, you were asking drivers questions, and I, I wrote about it this week. It's just, you know, who's who's the best restrictor plate racer out there? Well, most people were saying Brad Keselowski. Some were saying Joey Logano, but others, I think, with Harvick even mentioned Denny yeah. Hamlin. I feel like Keselowski was number one. Dan, Hamlin's number two right now in terms of plate drivers when you pull the garage. And so, you know, you're kind of looking at Hamlin thinking, man, he, he had to fight his way back after, you know, their pit stop strategy. But he's like, okay, he's in position. Now how is this going to work? It helped. You know that the three and the forty-three got together. That the align the alliance with Richard Childress Racing, and and I'll tell you what that that um, that push that that Daryl Walls Jr. gave Austin was just. I mean, they just got shot out of a, like a rocket. It was it was amazing. It's for it's funny as you mentioned all those names. All of these guys play in the same basketball league. Yes. Uh, well, maybe Daryl not anymore. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Bubba may be out of Denny's basketball league now, but Denny Hamlin has a basketball league that involves several in the NASCAR industry, some drivers, and two of them are. Bubba Wallace and Austin Dillon. You know, the, we should do the hoop, the hoop group goes one, two, three. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and two of them are very angry at each other. Yes. Um, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute here. We should probably do a post as I'm just sitting here thinking about. It. I mean, the number of extraordinary coincidences that have happened in NASCAR history like this, like where it happens on Sunday. Obviously, you know, you had what Richard Petty wins for the 200th time with July yeah, 4th, yeah. 1984, Reagan when there. you know President Reagan is here. There's just 
I'm, Everybody I'm, forgets about that. Was it the controversial win 199 that set that all right, up? <laughs> right. <laughs> the big I, engine. I feel like we could probably make a list of, of several of these. But as you mentioned, Dustin, uh, the three and the 43 being atop the scoring pylon, Richard Petty, when I talked to him outside the care center after he had I talked to his driver, Bubba Wallace, after he got checked out um, from his uh, post-race crash with Denny Hamlin, uh, Richard Petty mentioned it without being prompted. He said, great to see 3 and 43 up there. You said that you asked Richard Childress about it during the press conference, and he was like, Dustin, you read my mind. That's what I was <laughs> thinking about um, uh, throughout the day. And, of course, it's more significant not just because of the fact that these are two storied organizations, but because they've, they've downtrodden. They've, yeah, and because they've aligned. I mean, realistically, season. I mean, I mean, we were wondering what was going to happen to Richard Petty Motorsports last year sure. with, with, with Smithfield. I mean, th- there was the belief or the question of, like, is this organization going to be around in 2018? And, you know, when when Eric Almirola was going off, announced he was going off to, to Stuart Haas Racing, Smithfield was going over there, you were looking at Richard Petty Motorsports. It's, it's later in the year. They don't have a major sponsor at that point. And it was just like the question was, Who's their sponsor? They didn't have a driver at that point, although they were really pushing to, to have Daryl and trying to stir up business. That way. And, and they were going to be moving out of a shop. So it's like, what is this organization becoming? And is it even going to exist in 2018? Childress, okay, we know they're going to be around, but this is an organization that has really had some ups and downs. And when they have downs, it's it, they've kind of really... Now, they, you know, they did win twice last year with Dylan winning the, at Charlotte. And, and Newman winning at Phoenix. But last year, the goal was they had to win. They did it. They just weren't competitive every race. And so this is a great way for them to start. But again, it, what does it mean? We'll start to find out next week. But, it, but if nothing else, it means Austin Dillon's in the playoffs. And if nothing else, it also means that, that this partnership between yes. Richard Childress Racing and Richard Petty Motorsports is off to a great start. Richard Petty Motorsports have been running Fords uh, from 2010 to 2017. As you mentioned, Dustin, they were on the precipice of, you know, perhaps implosion. We, we, we heard the King joke about it a few times last year that he might just call a press conference someday and announce he was leaving. And I think that there was a kernel of truth in there that he wondered about the future of his team. They're still looking for sponsorship this year. But uh, today's second place result by Daryl Wallace Jr., I think, obviously is a huge shot in the arm for them. And I went up to Richard uh, yeah. Richard Petty Motorsports, their, their new shop, uh, last month. And at that point, all they had were six cars, six uh, fusions from last year. They were just sitting on their shop floor. They were waiting. This was about two weeks before the Vegas test in late January. They were waiting for Richard Childress Racing, which is supplying chassis and bodies to them. They were waiting to have those cars put in here. But I talked to Drew Blickenster for that day, and he said that he felt as if it was going to go both ways. Even though RPM is in this little corner of, of this welcome North Carolina campus that Richard Childress Racing, of course, is sprawling all over, their 20,000-square-foot corner was still going to be important because Drew said that they were going to be able to bring some mechanical know-how to RCR, whereas RCR obviously is going to bring them aero, it's going to bring them cars, it's going to bring them engines. He felt as if RPM still would be able to give them a little bit in terms of mechanical so well, and, and, and you also, we've talked before, but you think that this could be, you know, Furniture Row Racing right. is kind of set up this type of way of, of working together and then actually could benefit Richard Petty Motorsports potentially more than RCR 
And if you look at the the model of, of Furniture Row and Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah, Drew Blixen's River did note that a couple of times, that Furniture Row Racing is the goal here. And I think a lot of teams looked at what Furniture Row Racing did last year. They take what Joe Gibbs Racing provides them, and they optimize it. That's the, the buzzword you keep hearing is optimization. And I, I think that's what Richard Petty Motorsports is hoping to do with the RCR cars is give us what you got, help us on the aero side where we're deficient, we can't go the wind tunnel, we can't do the R&D, and then we'll uh, fine-tune the stuff that you guys might not have time for. And I think in this case, maybe more so than the Gibbs Furniture Row, I think there might be a little bit of sharing. There might, there might be some quid pro quo here where it goes back to RCR, what RPM finds. Well, if you're on the RCR campus, I, if I'm RCR, I expect that that if you learn some things, I'm going to get it back or suddenly your your, your rent is going to go up. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. And you're going to have to go find someplace else to go work. <laughs> we'll see how long the, the Richards keep getting along as, as the season progresses. But obviously off to a great start, and Richard Petty literally had a huge bounce in his step after the race. I just happened to be walking out into the pits, and suddenly here's Richard Petty who came swooping by me. He was making a beeline down pit lane to try to find his car. He ran into this is an this is what uh, is it eight is he he's eighty eighty years, years old, old. eighty, 80 years year old man, man who is walking faster than virtually anybody else out there <laughs> trying to trying to find Bubba Wallace in his number forty three. He ran ran into Drew Blickensturfer, who directed him back to the care center. We all followed him back to the care center. We went by his battered number forty three. It was being towed in the garage. He had fans. Screaming at him. He didn't have time to even sign autographs. <laughs> he was like so enthused about getting to see his driver and, and giving him the bear hug. Um, anyway, I wrote about that. You should check out the story, NBCSports.com. Dustin, the, the, other, the, the other part of this I want to talk to you about, and I want to get your perspective, because I was in here when Bubba Wallace came in here and just broke down crying, weeping after embracing his mother, his sister. In the moment, it was something to watch. You came in after being out in Victory Lane, and you watched it. It was so powerful. I mean, you you just, you know, I mean, in one sense, it was, you would think maybe he'd be like that because he just finished second in the Daytona 500 in the sense of he just lost the Daytona 500. But it wasn't that. I mean, here is a guy who, remember, last year he went into the season in the Xfinity Series and they knew they only had sponsorship for like 12 races. There was nothing else guaranteed after that. And then and then when those those races passed up, they didn't have any additional sponsorship at Roush Fenway Racing. Daryl Wallace was out of a ride. And Daryl Wallace was an unemployed driver. And then he became a substitute driver. You know, Eric Almirola get, got hurt and, and gave him four races. But then after that, it was he did, what, one truck race? And I don't think he did a whole lot. I mean, I know he won it, but I don't think he did a whole lot more um, racing. And, you know, here's a guy who, wondering if his career is over before he's hit, you know, 25. After he's been, like, hailed as a successor to Wendell Scott. Yeah. Uh, he wins that truck race at Martinsville yep. in, in 2013 for, and gives NASCAR a, a victory by an African-American driver for the first time in 50 years? Almost 50 years, yeah. I think. And as you said, yeah, suddenly it looked things looked bleak until roughly, what, eight months ago. I, I, the way I would equate his reaction is if you watch the Olympics now on NBC, NBCSN, every, the other channel, and it's just you see – the reactions of those athletes and they are so genuine because this is their one shot in four years this was it was all the things that he's gone through all the struggles um and and he is an emotional guy 
I mean, that's that's his mo. I mean, you know, Austin Dillon was in here earlier and saying, well, he he, you know, he doesn't get into crying and, and was telling this funny story <laughs> about his wife crying before the race and having to kind of go through that. That's that's not Austin Dillon, but that's Daryl Wallace Jr. and and I think that's one of the things. You know, it's it's who he is. It's not an act, and it was just genuine because of all that he's gone through and just what he had accomplished. And it was, when you see that, it's, it, it is it is so powerful. Like I said, the only thing I can compare it to is looking at Olympic athletes as they celebrate or are despondent over, you know, winning or coming so close to winning. And, and uh, it was that real of an emotion. Yeah, he is a real brash driver. And yes. I think that was a very vulnerable moment. And that was what caught me off guard. But we did see a little bit of an element of the brash <laughs> side of Bubba Wallace. And you wrote about that. I believe was it in the Fox interview? Was it on Fox? The, yeah. So the, every, everybody saw this if you were watching post race on national TV. Apparently, there wasn't much video of what transpired between Denny Hamlin and Bubba Wallace after the race. But essentially, Denny apparently crashed Bubba after the race, showing his displeasure. You wrote the story yeah. uh, about what Bubba said afterward on on Fox. I'll let you take it from there. You know, he was asked about the crash. He's like, "Well, I need to see a replay before I I say anything." And then he goes. Well, maybe he needs to take an Adderall to relax, or, you know, something to that effect. And obviously, that's a that is a dig at Hamlin, who earlier this week on a, on a podcast, you know, admittedly he was being egged on, but uh, you know, they yes. was asked about um, you know how do drivers stay focused, and somebody and one of the hosts asked about you know do you take Adderall, you know, who ta- how many take Adderall, and they're like, oh, I'm sure it's probably like ninety percent, you know, what what's the number, and, and they give us a percentage, and he's like, um, seventy. So, you know, and this is in, a very this in, put this frame this for Denny, just to, just to give him a little bit of help. This is a very irreverent podcast yes, in which sure. you know, it's, it's a Barstool sports production. And bar, pardon my take, it's intended to be kind of goofy and off cutting the wall, edge. cutting it, you know, however you want to call it. I mean, it's not meant to be taken seriously. And I think Denny answered in that vein, to be fair. But anyway. And but if you don't know that, then suddenly you just see <laughs> yeah. a, a, a Daytona 500 winner essentially saying you could read it as essentially saying three-fourths of the field is on Adderall or right. taking this and then it leads to the question of is this a prescription and if it's not right. then it's like you know you get into the right. whole drug policy and things like that so eventually Hamlin recanted the comments and said that like it was more of a joking joking thing but that's why you know Wallace brought it back yeah. And uh, and again, that's interesting, and that's you know that's interesting that Daryl would use that phrasing for here's the guys as you noted plays in the in the hoop uh, league with Hamlin. So you know obviously they get along to some degree because if if you don't like the guy, then I I don't think I would want him playing in my basketball league. And so for him to say that I think shows the genuine emotion of of Daryl. He's not going to hold back on some things, regardless who it is. Now, maybe over time that'll change. Maybe Daryl will always be like that. But I think that's one of the things that fans have to look at is people talk about they don't want their drivers to be robots. Okay, well, Daryl Wallace Jr. called out Hamlin on TV and basically used the dig that, that played off the dig that, that, that Hamlin said earlier this week, and then he's so emotional in the in the in the uh, media center afterwards i mean that's 
That's not a robot right there. No, no, clearly not. And I think that uh, it behooves NASCAR to continue to push these rivalries. And even when guys make missteps, I mean, we hear NASCAR executives say it all the time that sponsors need to give drivers a longer leash in order to be themselves. And this has been one of the things that sucked out some of the vibrancy and personality in NASCAR. I think NASCAR needs to adhere to the same principles and uh, allow these guys to be themselves I'm glad Denny wasn't penalized for the 70% Adderall comment or fined. <laughs> I, I know Bubba won't be for what he said on national television. Although, again, without context, if you don't know everything and you're just a casual viewer, you know, one of the millions watching the Daytona 500 and you see that, you're probably scratching your head a little bit. But this is what built NASCAR. This was, yes. you know, the, there was a race here now almost 40 years ago that ended with guys slapping the bejesus out of each other <laughs> on the backstretch, and that is what many point to is the transcendent moment that took NASCAR to new heights. Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know if we're going to see those days again. Um, <laughs> I mean, some I, would probably we, want we, it. Yeah, we almost if if, if Kyle Busch had connected uh, <laughs> last year at Vegas, but uh, that 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 didn't happen on pit road. So that may be as close as it gets. So we're, maybe we don't see the fight, but we're certainly seeing some of the emotion. And um, in that sense, it's. Uh, that, that that's a positive sign for the sport yeah. is 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 you know there's a realness to it that i think people had forgotten about because everybody kind of did thing a certain did things a certain way and and didn't want to offend their sponsors yeah and, yeah. and so you kind of lost who these people were and emotion is good whether it's vitriol or yes uh, weeping at a microphone like all of that is i think what's going to pull people in also it pulls people in Dustin is great racing. I want to get to some of that. We are time limited on this podcast, however, because Dustin needs to go finish this story, which everybody's going to read, NBCSports.com slash NASCAR, about the 3 and the 43. So then we've I got, go have dinner. And then, yeah, and then maybe we can both eat. We've got about, so we've got about five minutes sure. left. I looked up at one point and thought there's no way the Fords are going to let this one get away because they had like six of the top eight. You had Blaney up there running away. You had Keselowski up there at one point, and Logano certainly – and they dominated one of the qualifying and, races last Thursday. And we were watching Kurt Busch. Yeah. You know, people were not paying attention to Kurt, but this Kurt was running this race like last year, and we both talked. It's like, you know, if something happens with the Penske guys, Kurt is there lurking. Yes, he had a very fast car, as did, as did his teammate, Eric Almarola, yes. the leader going into yeah. the white flag lap was Eric Almarola. So going into turn three. Going into <laughs> turn three until Austin Dillon had other thoughts so uh we had a lot of wrecks in the middle of the race and they eliminated a lot of good cars it was somewhat similar unfortunately to saturday's xfinity race i would love to see without the overtime yeah i would love yeah exactly thankfully we didn't have multiple overtimes i would love to see uh, a plate race that is decided between the best cars but when you have guys who are that aggressive racing that hard with really good cars unfortunately they're not all going to finish the race and that's what we saw today well i think a big thing about today and i don't and nobody's talked about this in one sense the aggression of some of these guys and uh you know i know a lot of people pointed to the aggression of ricky stenhouse and maybe you might have mentioned at one point the fords have the oldest body right so okay and they're the best plate cars yes and the toyotas the toyotas are strong it should be strong once once the series goes to atlanta continue to be their strength from last year you expect the Chevrolets, you're not going to make a car that's worse. Now, it may take a few months for the Chevrolet teams to really hit on it. Maybe there's one team that hits on it. But in essence, 
if it plays out as everybody expects, where it's going to be, you know, Chevy, Toyota, the dominant, and Ford, you know, trying to pick up the scraps, the heat's on Ford teams right now to win races. Right. And I and I I've even said before the season, I was like, if I'm a Ford team, and even if I have to take a big gamble in the first six to eight weeks or ten weeks of the season, by God, I'm going to do it to get myself into the playoffs. Because if I have to wait till June, July, or August to do it, it may be too late. Right. You know, I mean, look at how dominant Toyota was after, what, June? They won, uh, was it 14 of the last 19 races? So there were fewer opportunities for anybody to win a race and get in. So in that sense, if I'm a Ford team, I'm not sure what's coming up in Atlanta and, and beyond, but this is, I've got this one circled as like, okay, we're, they, Ford's have won seven straight plate races coming into today. And and this this may be one of their few shots. And and again, for a guy like Ricky Stenhouse, the Roush program is you know seems to be getting better, but it's still got work on these other tracks, the mile and a half, and so forth. This was his shot, yeah. potentially. A lot of people are going to judge him for racing with reckless abandon, but I I don't think that's fair. If you're truly looking at all things here in context, as you said, I mean this was his golden ticket for making the playoffs. It's not just the biggest race of the year. For a Ford driver such as him and a couple of others, probably Kurt Busch probably you could put on that list too. This might be the chance to make the playoffs. Dustin, we've gotten this far in the podcast and not even addressed blocking, which for many people <laughs> was one of the major storylines I'm going well, to stop right now. I'm going to block you from discussing <laughs> that. <laughs> I'll yeah. put you in the wall. Well, and uh, yeah. You know, I, I, about blocking, I'll tell you what, Tony Stewart was one of the happiest people there here today. <laughs> Because, by God, he hates blocking. He hates it. He he hates this type of racing, and and yes, you know he he's done his share of blocking, caused wrecks and and this and that. You know, I think what was interesting in all these act, a lot of these accidents, and I know now in the first one at the end of the stage one, Johnson talked about you know maybe guys were losing their head a little bit. It was it was awfully early, but I mean you know a guy like Eric Almirola, who just came that close to winning the Daytona 500 and talked about how devastated he was, but in, in essence, not, you know, not putting any blame on Dylan. I mean, I was blocking Chase Elliott, Brad Keselowski, you know, at least publicly, they didn't come out and, and, and blame. I mean, it's, it's, it's just accepted. It's just like when you come to Daytona, you just expect 20 cars to get wadded up and you expect it to be blocking. And until somebody else, somebody figures out a better way, that's what's going to happen, and there's, it's been blocking for years, and that's that's one of the reasons why Brad Keselowski is one of the best plate drivers because when he gets to the front, he he does a great job of controlling both lanes by blocking, and that's what's made him successful. And Chase Elliott has just gotten tremendously better um, over the last year or two in doing that, and and really really refined. I mean, it's really impressed me how he's been able to pick it up and do so well. So until somebody figures out a better way, this is, this is what it's going to be. And this is what happens. Yeah. And it was very much like the Xfinity race where you had Logano, Larson, Elliott, just blocking incessantly, but doing it in a masterful sort of way that was just breathtaking and dazzling. I mean, Kyle Larson Saturday was just filling holes like nobody's business with just like this ultimate precision, like inches every time. And you notice when and people talk about that race and even today, what was the word they used was fun. Yes. The drivers talked about how fun it was. It wasn't, they we, didn't come out of this 
pissed off that I got blocked and, and yeah. kept blocking. This was fun. Eric Almirola, uh, his care center interview, he wasn't upset with Austin Dillon at all. He, it was like he understood it, which is different because you and I have been around this long enough, Dustin. We remember <laughs> in 2006, as you said, Tony Stewart came out and said, we're going to kill somebody Yes, because we're throwing blocks and we're doing this slam drafting stuff. It's like there's this new generational acceptance, perhaps, that guys just, as you said, it's it's part of the deal. It's and, been around so long now, that's, that's all they know. And Chase Elliott, again... Thank God he walked away yes. from that hit because when that happens on the 17-year anniversary of NASCAR losing its you know, maybe most iconic driver in a similar head-on collision with the wall in a similar spot on the track, it takes your breath away. But as you said, I mean, it seems like drivers have sort of accepted that that's, that's the deal right now to win at play tracks. All right, we're about to hit our time-limited podcast ending here. So unfortunately, we have a ton of other things to talk about. We haven't even <laughs> talked about the Xfinity race. There's so many other things we, we could have covered <laughs> Chaos. in this podcast episode, but we need Dustin to go finish this story from bcsports.com slash NASCAR. We need him to get sustenance. Uh, so final thing, we haven't even touched on Danica's final Daytona 500, final NASCAR race. So in a minute, what is your takeaway on Danica? She went out on a crash, and that was kind of her luck so often on restrictor plates. I know she had the eighth place finish the one in the Daytona 500 uh, the year she won the pole, but for the most part, a lot of her, her restrictor plate races ended up uh, with a mangled car. And so in that sense, say la vie. Indeed. I'm going to have some thoughts on her, but I'm probably going to save them for the website. Stay tuned for that this week. Might be in the notes column I do tomorrow. Might be a little bit later this week, but hopefully I will get to it because we got to go. My thanks again to NBCSports.com colleague Dustin Long for being here. Check out NBCSports.com slash NASCAR for all of our coverage from today at the Daytona 500 and from the entirety of Speed Weeks. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please please leave a rating or review. Uh, That really helps us spread the word. We're also available pretty much wherever you download podcasts. If you have any feedback, you can always send to me on Twitter at NateRyanIsMyHandle. Thanks, Dustin, for being here. Thanks, man. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.